the you kind of like this guy, but when you can't decide between the filet o fish or the Big Mac, and he says, I'll get you both. Thank you. You definitely <laughs> like this guy meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Hey everybody, it's been a while since we've done just a standard old non-commissioned bald movies Commissioned podcast. by me and Jim's wallet. Yeah, <laughs> commissioned by uh, Matt Damon's face, I guess. Yeah. And and who's the author of this book? Andy Weir. Andy Weir. Yeah, commissioned by him. Uh, with years of, of slaving away at a typewriter, probably. Yeah. He, he's the kind of guy who'd write a typewriter, not a computer, right? I don't know. He seems like a computer guy. He'd he'd, yeah. he'd, he'd uh, write on a uh, well, I figure he's a probably terminal older. that he ca- that he cabbaged from an old Martian Pathfinder probe. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So we're we're talking about the Martian today. We just saw it last night at its opening premiere showing. Uh, surprised that like nobody was there. Well, it was it like was... twelve people at eight p.m. Yeah, on a Thursday. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, it is the sneak because I don't know why they still have midnight showings. Mm-hmm. Because ever since I don't, and I don't know why they're allowed to. Like the twelve oh one was because that was the street date. It's Friday. And everybody queued out, up, yep. and you know now they're doing them on Thursday at eight o'clock. And I'm like, okay, I can I can totally do this. We got there super early, thinking yeah. that it would be packed, and uh, it was it wasn't. No, not wasn't. even close. No, there was uh, like maybe fifty people there in a theater that would hold four hundred. I did notice coming out that they had, uh, you know those those kind of ropes set up, those extendable rope things still to just do... cordon off a line yeah. for the 12 o'clock showing. So maybe they were expecting a big crowd for that? Well, I was, yes, because I was on Reddit and I was looking at, you know, because there's a movie subreddit and people, there's an official discussion thread for The Martian and they're talking about how people were queuing up for the midnight shows and they're like, oh, I went to the 8 o'clock, the, you know, light, more lightly attended 8 o'clock when I'm like, who the fuck voluntarily goes to see a movie at midnight when they could see it at 8 o'clock? I don't know. I don't know. People who work second shift, maybe? Like, but that's not they get a off crowd, at eight and then, yeah. I mean, I, even if you're like a teenager and you like staying up late, yeah, you got school the next day, man. <laughs> Teenagers don't give a shit. It got rough because I, I used to go to a lot of midnight shows because I'm a yeah, big sci-fi fantasy nerd. But it's because you had to. I had hey. to, and they were rough, man. Like, I can, yeah. remember, the, I can remember, the first time I can remember doing that was The Phantom Menace. Yeah. And it, it was such a new practice that, like, the theater we saw it in, they have automatic, you know, they a lot of these big places are controlled by remotely for oh, power yeah, saving. Yeah. With like, my, that's what my sister stuff. does. She mm-hmm. works for this company that they are they they are cybernetically connected to all these different stores and stuff. And yeah. they have to coordinate. Like, when two teams are in a Super Bowl, stuff you don't think about. Like, two teams are in a Super Bowl – you know this the, in these cities. Whoever wins, that dicks all the dicks in that city have to stay open because people are going to go in and want to buy championship T-shirts and balls and stuff like that. So this was before they yeah. had all that worked out, and like at midnight, the air conditioning system cut out I was gonna say, in a theater yeah. full of six hundred sweaty nerds that had been camping. Oh, oh, I didn't no. actually, but yeah, it was. Do you remember how fucking hot that it got? Rough. Uh, I. 
I don't. Mm. I don't remember the heat. I remember the cheering. Yeah. And the the fanfare. Yeah. And the disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) The crushing disappointment when you stumbled out at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The last movie I did that with, uh, talking about going to a midnight showing, was unfortunately The Hobbit. Because a group of people from the place I work, Developer Town, Uh were like, hey, let's go see this. Yeah. That's a bad movie to do it with. A, it's a bad movie, period. Uh, B, it's a three-hour movie. So you're up till minimum... 3.30, assuming sure. you don't stick around for any of the camaraderie afterwards. Sure. Uh, that was a rough night, going into work the next day. But it was with, you know, coworkers, so it's like it's a s- everybody goes in yeah. half hungover. And everybody's going to be dragging ass. you're going to uh, drink whiskey during The Hobbit yeah. in your flask you snuck in. You know what surprised me is they were they were doing, you know, these phantom things, which is case, special events, like when we go see Riff Tracks, it's a phantom event. Yeah. They're doing all the... Ex- Extended versions of The Hobbit. Oh, God. Like, all of those movies are too fucking long. The fact that I was... You saw me. I was kind of, like, horrified that there are Uh extended versions of these in the wild. Here's the thing. So I went into the first Hobbit, and I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good, but I'll watch it. And, you know, it was fun because I was there with friends. Mm -hmm. The second Hobbit, I grit my teeth, and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this on HBO, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. And I sat through it while I did other things. The third Hobbit, I tried to do that, and I shut it off 10 minutes in because it is a piece of garbage. Really? Because I was about to the say third that Hobbit the third Hobbit is a train wreck. I think the third Hobbit's the most entertaining one. Oh, God. Well, I, I wouldn't know. I made yeah. it through the first 10 minutes. I was like, this dragon has been breathing fire for way too long. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, he's been breathing fire since the last movie ended all that (laughs) year, and then he came back. He's still breathing fire. Like, that town's gone. Yeah. You can't do that. I just don't – I don't need everything to be a grand adventure. Like, what's hilarious is – and I'm not making this up. The final hour and probably 20 minutes of the movie is five pages of The Hobbit. Of course. Of course. The Battle of Five Armies is, like, four and a half pages. God. Of, like, kind of – it's – yeah. The worst. We're not here to talk about The Hobbit. We're not. Uh, unfortunately. I could go on all day about how bad it is. Uh, we're here to talk about The Martian. Yeah, and I want and, and maybe some previews. Do you want to talk about previews Martian. first? Because yeah, yeah. I also want to talk like five minutes about The Martian, and then I want to talk some heavy spoilers. Okay. So you're right. going to be spoiler-free up until... And, and uh, our official review is go see this movie. Yes. Uh, if you're at all interested in science, science fiction... Yeah. Um, Apollo 13, it, Gravity, that's, if that's you like exactly all that, is, this is yeah. even better more interesting, more sciencey versions of that. And if you yeah. like the film, you should really, really, really read the book because it's about 50% more sciencey stuff. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. So yeah. that's that's the official bulb that gets a f- seal of approval. Great film. Okay, previews. There was one preview in particular that I was like, yes, on. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I'm a fan of both of the actors that are starring in it. Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy starring in The Revenant. I saw a minute preview of this that was just like it made it look like it was hmm. a an um a indian war movie okay with like tom hardy and leonardo dicaprio being more or less on the same side oh and it still looks stunning yeah it still looks stunning but this trailer like i draw on the floor i couldn't believe how f- amazing it looked yeah now that i know it's this sort of revenge story yeah uh and that <laughs> leonardo dicaprio is apparently going to go deep on this one Looks like it. I'm in, man. Every time uh, Leo does his thing on screen and gets deep into one of these characters, I'm in. Well, you know, also this guy, this is the guy who directed Birdman. Did you ever see Birdman? I never saw Birdman, no. Like, 
I am super excited because that was a quality, trippy piece of infor- piece of entertainment. And this set in like I'm presuming it's like the French Canadian War or maybe something like that. Frontiers yeah. of the early America. Uh, it it looks like a million bucks. I thought so. It looks like probably a hundred million dollars um, <laughs> at least. Yeah. But yeah, no, this guy, I his name is Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, the director of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's directed a bunch of stuff. The first thing I've seen is is the is Birdman. It's I'm super excited. I'm all in on this movie. Me too. Uh, there were a couple of others. One that I'm I'm a little shaky on. I hope they don't go too preachy on, but they might. Is the Big Short with Christian Bale and a bunch of other people. I'm I looked it up here. Uh, it's got Christian Bale, Brad Pitt, uh, Selena Gomez. If you're into her, Ryan Gosling. If you're into him, Steve Carell. Like just the cast goes. If you're on ready, and on. come and get it. Na 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 na. Yes. So I, I'm kind of interested in that one as well. Yeah, I am too. I. The subject material, I think, is pretty pretty interesting. You know, the the banking scandal and the, yeah. the uh, real estate bubble and all that. And this purports to be the tale of the insiders who saw the crash coming and how they personally profited from it. I, I like that angle. Like, if it was yeah. just another, um, what is that? Wolf one of movie? Wall Street? No, no, there's a... Smartest Guys in the Room? No, that's the Enron one. Um, th- there's one on HBO that they did that, mm. that was real good about the banking crisis and scandal sure but yeah if it's another if it was another one of those like insiders being insiders sort of uh, thing i probably wouldn't care for it but this looks what's your you said i hope it's not too preachy because i don't yeah i don't I, know what you mean by that like i get it the banks did some shady shit uh-huh some people fucked up uh-huh. some people were uh for lack of a better term evil uh-huh. uh greedy i get all that i don't necessarily want to sit through a movie that's just going to hammer that point home over yeah. and over yeah i want a little bit more nuance to it and and i think so the one line i saw in the preview that was encouraging was you know how do you tell the difference between stupidity and greed right you know stupidity and uh illegal I- illegal yeah. yeah which you know same thing yeah uh, uh so i'm hoping maybe there will be a slight bit of nuance and i, I don't want them to say oh the bank guys weren't they doing were so anything bad. wrong yeah they were just dumb no yeah. no i don't buy that for one second but sure same time, I don't want it to go too far the other way. Okay. Anything else you saw? I'm, you weren't interested in much in the Joy movie. I'm interested because it's a David O. Russell joint. Uh-huh. And he seems to like this Jennifer uh, Lawrence seems to be his muse. Guess so. She was in American Hustle, featured yeah. prominently, although not as prominently as you might think if you hadn't seen the movie. Yeah. She was in, of course, Silver Lying's uh, playbook and, cor- and Bradley Cooper. Uh, Never his, saw that. His muser. Yeah. She's his musee. Uh, fucking Robert De Niro is back. Like, there's a lot. Oh, that's of... right. Yeah. So I'm interested because he seems like he seems like a terrible human being. Like, I can't unsee his treating Lily Tomlin just diabolically. There's a, a leaked scene of him trying to direct her and them having a creative difference when they were making uh, I Heart Huckabees, which is one of my favorite films. Hmm. And he's just out of control. Out okay. of control, abusive, and it's 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 hard to forget that when you're watching his films, but they're usually interesting. Sure, and he's got like maybe he's finally found a group of actors that are willing to put up with his particular brand of bullshit to make something beautiful because he you know it's like he's actually got this little troop that seems to be kind of loyal to him. Yeah, 
something big and beautiful, would you say? Yeah. There you go. The joy that that's coming out this Christmas. Lots right. of shit coming out this Christmas. The other one I'm excited about, uh, you know, uh, Bill Simmons is back. He's got his new HBO pod sponsored podcast going, right. and he came out firing at the NFL and ESPN. And his point was that ESPN is so pants shittingly terrified of pissing off the NFL that they actively censor not just people like him who is just saying a spade like I think Roger Goodell is a liar and he's incompetent. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get fired for saying that, but also just the way they cover things is just so slavish and you know, tunnel visioned and they're like sycophantic towards this organization. Mm. And, you know, it's troublesome. And then I see how much trouble the NFL has been in with this kind of the flate gate scandals kind of worn the fan base out. They've had, um, you know, Ray Rice beating his girlfriend up on video and they've had other, some domestic abuse situations. And now Mm. they've got this movie with Will Smith Yep. That is purporting to be the true life story of this doctor who found out the link between concussion and all these brain disorders that many, many, many NFL players get, um, even when they're not that old. Movie called Concussion, by the way. Not a great title. And it's essentially kind of like, um, thank you for smoking. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's coming out like in the in the mid, like it's a lot of these things come out way after the whistleblowers. And I guess this is yeah. the same thing. But I feel like this is super relevant. People knew about tobacco being a bunch of ass twats when yeah. you know, "Thank You for Smoking" came out. Sure, there's still a lot of people in denial about this concussion problem in the NFL. You know, I'm an I'm a NFL fan, but it's to the point where I, I was watching a random game last week and some dude got lit up like your stereotypical running back going this way, safety coming in just flatten them like you hear this big mm-hmm. pop and the guy's like, "Oh, ho, ho, that was a man hit or whatever," and I'm like. <laughs> I hope that guy doesn't have brain damage after he's yeah. taken a hundred of those in his career. I don't know what this does to the sport. Like the NFL's had this invincibility aura of invincibility and they've actively squashed this things, but that works while you're successfully doing it. But as soon as you, you can't control it anymore, it makes you look yeah. like a fucking ogre. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, you know, 20 years from now, when parents stop letting their kids play football, because especially teenage concussions mm-hmm. are like, ter- you know, like any concussion you get before you're the age of 17 is worth like four in adulthood. Sure. I don't know what it's going to Is it going to be like boxing where increasingly it's poorer and poorer and other segments of society? Like Maybe. right now, like, you know, kind of your, you know, you do have that, but you've also got a lot of like your best and brightest going into the sport. But if it, you know, I mean, they'll have to change the rules, won't they? To... How do you change the rules like that? I think their salvation is going to be better equipment. Like there are helmets you can wear to demonstrably prove that you you uh, it reduces concussions. But the, ironically, a lot of the players don't want to wear them because they look goofy. Too bad. But I'm Too thinking like, bad. yeah, no, like you that's, put. That's silly. That's the motorcycle problem, right? Right. I don't want to wear my helmet or my pads because I look weird. Yeah, but the like in the NFL can't push because the player associations. It's really weird, you know, this dance of like, a bunch of young men who think they're immortal not wanting to sure. look stupid. Yeah. But like I feel like the end game is they're going to put accelerometers in every helmet. And if you take a hit of X amount of Gs, you're out of the game. And you have to have mm-hmm. a mandated whatever evaluation until you can get back in. Sure. And they're going to have to have bigger rosters. There are accelerometers and everything. Maybe less games. They're going to probably band kick off. I mean, there's a lot of things they could do to make the game safer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like boxing. 
you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to concuss a man's brain until he's knocked out. Sure. There's only so much you can do to make that safe. Yeah. You're trying to stop another guy from running a ball, and you're both roided up and human growth hormoned up, and what are you going to do? So I'm super torn on this movie because I, I have a principled stand against anything sports. Don't yeah, give, don't, don't give, a, don't shit give a shit in general. Football, yeah. uh, on the other hand, I have seen Will Smith. This looks like it may be Will Smith's greatest performance to date. I was 100% convinced by his accent. Uh, it looks like he's going to get passionate about something. And after having seen Pursuit of Happiness, mm. I want Will Smith to go there again. Yeah, I mean, and it might happen in this. I movie. think he's done a lot of good stuff. Like I thought his I Am Legend, he was phenomenal in. Have uh, you seen his um, shit? What was the the Muhammad Ali pick he did? Ali, Ali, yeah, <laughs> uh, that he was awesome in. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he was really good in that. I think the movie itself was kind of shitty, but with him and Rosario Dawson, and I think it was Seven Pounds. I never saw that one. He was really good. I mean, he's a fine actor. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. And it doesn't seem like he's interested in chasing spectacle at this point. So yeah, I'm I'm all I've in. just I've never seen him do an accent and this sounded real good. Yeah. Real good. All right. Shall we talk about the Martian? Yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> um what do you want to talk about, the Martian? Uh so we're gonna do some non spoilery stuff up front. Yeah, right? so let's do like five minutes just basic. Um so basic plot, if you guys don't know, yep. is Matt Damon. Uh, is part of a team that goes up to Mars, and this is the third Mars. This in this universe, it's the third Mars mission, third third manned trip to Mars. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. so six of them are up there. Uh, there's a storm that comes in unexpectedly, and they have to abort the mission and take off on their journey from their habitat to the ship, which I think is called a MAV. Is that right? Yeah, the Mars Ascent Vehicle. Okay, C- called the MAV. Uh, Matt Damon is hit by the communications array, which is flown off of the habitat mm-hmm. and uh, knocked him out into the storm and they can't go get him and they have to just leave. Otherwise because, they'll because, all die. Because there's like, if, 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 if the winds get to so such a, a, a miles per hour or whatever kilometers yeah. per hour, the Mars ascent vehicle will take, will tip over. Yeah. And then they're all stuck. They're there. all dead because yeah. there's not another mission coming for four years and they only have supplies for X amount of time, yeah. which is nowhere near four years. So they think Matt Damon's dead. And yeah, so they leave him there. They they have to leave him there, yeah. Turns out he's not dead, and now they're gone, and he has to survive on Mars. And hopefully survive long enough to be picked up, maybe. And the brilliant conceit is that the communications array is what got knocked out, so he has <laughs> uh-huh. no... It's not like he can even talk to NASA and let them know that they're, he's alive. Exactly. So from that point, you know, the movie progresses... Uh, and Matt Damon has to figure out how to stay alive on Mars. And there's two main phases of the movie. They cut back and forth. Matt Damon trying to survive on Mars and the human reaction yes. on Earth when they discover, because I don't think this is a spoiler, they discover he eventually he's alive. Yeah. If you've seen the trailer, and then the trying to get him back to Earth safely. Sure. It's kind of like blend of Castaway. It's a, a little bit of um, uh, Apollo 13, certainly. A lot of Apollo 13. <laughs> a lot of gravity. <laughs> a lot of gravity. The tension. Yeah, the yeah. tension from gravity was constantly there. Yeah. Um, but I think... So I read the book. I read it last week. It's a quick read. It's like 300-some pages. I would not have guessed that that, was, that would be a quick read. But okay. Well, I mean, I, I, need, I, I when out. I get ahead of steam, I can read pretty fast. But I, okay. I was probably... You read it in like two days. Yeah. And I <laughs> one of those days was me up till 3.30 finishing it. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I probably... It's 10, 8 to 10 hours of, of reading is what it took to polish it off. But it's, okay. it's good. 
Um, I want to. I'm tempted to say it's better than the movie because that's what you always want to do because it's just yeah. more. If you like the movie, it's it's a bigger helping with more in depth. And but mm. the one thing I think the movie did better is the portrayal of what it would actually be like to be on Mars by yourself hmm. for hundreds and hundreds of days that in the book, this guy is almost psychotically positive uh, and okay. there's no like really moments. And, and also just Matt Damon's physicality of his performance, you know, watching him get thinner and yeah. watching him be more and more malnutrition, malnutritious, uh, malnourished. Here, I finally <laughs> found it. Three, third times, third times a term. Uh, uh, it sold it in a way that the words I think you kind of glossed over. Um, but okay. one thing I think the movie and the book did is show like what the world, how the world would. I think like, I absolutely believe that if you had a situation like this, the whole world would be watching. It wouldn't be yes. a United States thing. It wouldn't be. I thought like the way that the different foreign space agencies work together was really mm-hmm. um, positive, but without being Pollyanna, because again, I genuinely believe this is kind of how it would go down. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I there was some of that stuff in there, um, which I want to talk more about in the spoilery part of it. I also thought just that I didn't. I don't know why they dumbed down the science a bit in the movie. Did they? And and to make it look like it was a little bit. Almost the way that some of the changes they made made him slightly less plausible. Here, here's the thing. So when he's like at the beginning, they set it up like, luckily, I'm a botanist. I'm going to have to science the shit out of this thing. Uh, I expected him to do more science, honestly. Well, like, Buddy, you should read the book. Th- I mean, <laughs> I don't consider a botany degree of any kind required to plant a potato. Yeah. Even even in the way he does it. Like I could think of that. Right. And I am not a botanist by any means. But what, as evidenced by my chia pet. Yeah, yeah. So so <laughs> the book makes it very clear that the way he's doing it required a lot of ingenuity because the Martian soil is not suitable for and there's sure. a lot of more into it that like if you or I tried to grow potatoes on Mars, we would absolutely fail. Okay. And also okay. the way he was able to get the density. Like, yeah, you could grow potatoes, but he had to grow, like, fucking high-yield potatoes. So he was doing yeah, yeah. things like as soon as the plants sprouted, he dug them back up and buried them deeper and then bar- and put another potato on top, knowing that that sprout would still make it to the soil. So he was, like, double-layering huh. double the potatoes and okay. things. Um, so I don't know how much else we can talk about this without spoilers. So do you want to say that we sh- you should go see it, and then if you've seen the movie uh, – Start listening now because we're going to talk about in-depth spoilers. Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, let's do that now. All right, it's spoiler time. Uh, Everybody else who wants to see this first, leave for the rest of you. Here we go. Uh, So I really love the way that he makes water, like uh, following on this this potato thing. Uh Um, That they explained in detail, right? They're like less detail in the book, but still in detail. Sure. Okay. They, they were like, "Oh yeah, I can get this chemical from here. I've got all the hydrogen I need. I just need to make the oxygen, whatever." You know what made me so happy? I need to separate about it. Reading the book and seeing the movie. What's that? Is they are doing Robert Zubrin's Mars mission. Okay. Where they the the thing lands and it synthesizes you know the hydrazine and methane from the Martian atmosphere and they land the modules and it's got every, and the the it's just a crew now. I can't remember the the Hermes module itself. So the idea of that is they have this big kind of Battlestar Galactica spaceship. 
but it's in a per, more or less a permanent orbit of Earth and Mars. It just it slingshots back and forth, oh. and the crew hmm. the crew module goes up and and docks to it with supplies and crew. It goes to Mars and it drops them off, mm-hmm. and then they stay and it like does a certain amount of orbits. They stay there for like a thirty day mission, and then they go blast off and it it hitches a ride back on Hermes and it takes them back to Earth. And that's so that's why the it takes Glover four character years. Not necessary at all in the book. No, he totally is because he's the one that realized it would actually be quicker. They could get back quicker if the Hermes, instead of doing its normal injection in Earth orbit and docking, if it started flooring itself to get an even larger gravity assist from Earth. Wait, but I thought you're you're already describing a ship that orbits Mars and Earth, right? Like right, but it breaks and slows down. So that the you know the big supply vessel can can link up with it and they can get the old crew off and the new crew on and all that the the time savings was instead of slowing down for that Earth injection orbit that they were actually speeding up the whole way. But they still had to make that that transfer. They had to transfer all the supplies up there. But right? I, it it would have been you know you you it would have let's see. They were able to get in a higher orbit. See, they don't explain this in the movie. Well, they're able yeah, to they get don't. to that higher orbit in the speed because they weren't taking six guys. It was just basically enough food to get there and back yeah. for for you know five people plus Matt Damon six. So it didn't have the crew module or anything. It was just a bare bone supplies hmm. that they were able okay. to like barely get it. And that's the same thing. Matt Damon had to strip that Mars ascent vehicle down to nothing, which was amazing. Which is really amazing. Yeah. So it would be light enough to go fast enough to get the higher orbit that the Hermes. And I, now, I I love that's something I didn't even consider, right? Like that the density of the atmosphere was a big factor here and totally different from Earth. So like obviously that I mean that's an obvious thing if you're mm-hmm. if you know anything about Mars. So like the the fact that they use that, right? You could tell this is written by someone who understands science because right. in Earth you'd be like, well no, you'd fucking burn up in the atmosphere or doing you'd, that. It'd just be un terribly hard to control which is actually a part of the plot that yes and and there's also something at the end i want to tell you a few things that might ruin the movie for you all right knowing you the way i do maybe not but they they didn't ruin it for me because so so there's something about this movie that i like beyond just the sciencey like will this guy survive the tension all that stuff Mm -hmm. and it's ultimately this movie is not really about the details of how he gets back it's more about the spirit right like the spirit of humanity coming together when they need to to accomplish this mission um the the indomitable spirit of survival yes um that matt damon shows the the kind of camaraderie and humor throughout the whole thing um between the crew and matt damon and i think that's the bigger message here right like they play they play love train at the end of this Mm -hmm. movie and it's over kind of this this cheering about rescuing Matt Damon mm-hmm. and how the entire planet came together and did this thing for this man. And I think that's the most important thing about this. It's inspirational. Yeah. You know? And that's a, there's one point in the book and I think in the movie too where he's like, now that I've established contact, I feel a lot better because I literally have the smartest people on the planet Earth <laughs> all – like and the smartest me. person on the planet Mars. <laughs> the best, but that's also they kept in that that he was annoyed that the botanists back home are like he's like I am the botanist. I'm the best botanist on this goddamn planet. <laughs> and you guys are trying to, yeah. you know, armchair quarterback me. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so I didn't like some of the humor at the beginning. I was really? like, they're going for the big lines here, right? They're swinging right off the bat. Um, 
examples because I saw a lot on Reddit. A lot of his people stuff were like, about I'm gonna have to science the shit out. Of I this. love that. I didn't really like that, but eventually I got into the humor between him and his colleagues. Uh-huh. That was the thing that drew me into kind of the the funny aspects of this. Plus, he he seems like he's like uh he grew up on the in the age of Reddit, and he's got that kind of ironic sense of humor and now he's a 40 year old scientist astronaut yeah i guess that just rubbed me the wrong way i don't know because i i thought that i don't know what year this is set in like 2030 maybe 2020 yeah i i feel like it's 20 years from now okay so 2035 ish uh-huh. uh because you know they go back and when they when they did the pathfinder thing i thought that was brilliant it was really like cool. let's use the communications array from this thing that is contemporary for the viewers yes but will be old school for the the time of the movie. Yeah. And that's the other thing about this movie that I really love is how they show kind of the institutional knowledge and the value of that Mm -hmm. within NASA. Like you have these old fogies here who would be kicked out of a programming job day one in the private sector. Whereas in NASA, they're valuable, right? They have all the knowledge about all these previous missions and they are part of the reason that the day is saved here. Yeah. It's interesting because that's not always been the case. Like one of the, when they decided to get out of the Apollo missions, they not only destroyed all of the Atlas and Saturn or the, all the Saturn rockets, but they also oh. destroyed all the machines that made them all of the, re- all of the like records and <laughs> like the blueprints and schematics, because I guess it was a political thing. So the Russians don't get, a no, it was a political thing. Like, God damn it. We're never going to the moon again. And we're going to actively burn this down. So it's not, it's inconceivably expensive to do it again. <sighs> Cause we're all in on this fucking space shuttle. And the same kind of thing happened in the space shuttle because, like, Robert Zubrin, that was one of his pitches. Like, instead of, like, okay, the space shuttle didn't work, but the space shuttle main engines are amazing. Uh And they're, like, if you scale them up into a proper rocket platform, they'd be awesome. The solid rocket boosters, fucking A. And you can design, and, you know, the one of the reasons the space shuttle is so hazardous is because the people were on the side of the fucking rocket. (laughs) Like. And so none of the safety features in any of the Apollo programs or any of the Gemini programs where it's essentially the rocket explodes, then there's a smaller rocket on top of the command module that just rockets you away and parachutes the people so the people don't die. Uh-huh. That all goes out the window. But he's like, you can take this stuff, this existing stuff, and modify it to have spaceships that work right now that could outlift like the Saturn V's. And NASA's huh. like, nah, fucking scrap the main engines and take the space frames and shut down all the... And, and build new rockets. And hmm. I, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense to me. Like when you read yeah. Robert's and I, so if you like the movie and you want more, you should read the Martian. And if you like the Martian and you want to know even more, <laughs> read Robert Zubrin's a case from Mars. Yeah. And you will read this very smart man. Who's worked for NASA almost all of his life. His just palpable frustration with the system and how mm. dysfunctional it is and how political it is. And yeah, that's the other angle in this movie, right? Yeah. The both the pressure from uh politicians and also the public. Yeah. in general, which I thought were interesting angles. They to they, they just barely cuz I remember there was a couple points reading the book where I was so pissed off at the administration and the PR people. Yeah. for trying like, you know, there's a sequence of them trying to push for him to take a picture. You know, because yeah. Yeah, they're just communicating. Like they you want can to tweet see, it, like right? they're they're writing messages and using ASCII code to communicate. And there's like, you want us to take the bandwidth to send a fucking JPEG of this guy who's wearing a helmet. You won't even be able to see his face. Yeah, 
You want us to waste that while we're like in day two of communicating all those life and deaths just so you can put something on the front page of Times? Like, fuck you. Sure. But then they got their way. And it's just yeah. like, ah, oh, Jesus. Um, but, I mean, there is a balance there, right? Yeah. You don't want the public getting too angry. You don't want the politicians taking away future or present funding for this project. And it was also maddening them keeping the his crew deliberately in the dark that he's alive because they don't want to jeopardize their mission. They don't want to take it. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like a couple bureaucrats made that decision. The yeah. guy who's actually in charge of the mission, his hands are tied. He can't tell his crew that the person they thought was dead on Mars is actually alive. Yeah, so how how close is that to the book? Like Jeff it's Daniels' portrayal of right on. this character. Okay, yeah, right. so, All that so stuff he, is is, he is a guy who wants to do the right thing, but is constrained by certain issues i do like that that everybody wanted to do the big heroic crowd pleasing yeah. thing it's just can we literally do it and ultimately they make some sacrifices i mean even jeff daniels is like let's forget these safety protocols if the mission fails because of it i will take the blame and it did and it did and but it, luckily he didn't need to take the blame because the chinese stepped in and helped and there was part that was the part in the book where i started thinking Maybe <laughs> Watley's not coming home. I yes, me because they made it a very strong case that like, and you know, orbital mechanics being what they are, you miss these transfer windows, and it's literally impossible to get somewhere as fast as you need to get there because modern rocket technology just, you know, you have and to even do- building building the thing that's going to go there is yes. going to take months. I mean, yes. they really impressed upon us that three months is a very short amount of time to organize this mission. Yeah, and they did this, in the book, they do this conceit where the people are doing one thing, and then behind the scenes, he's giving, like, every three paragraphs, there'll be four paragraphs of, like, what they didn't know is that these protein cubes are going to liquefy in this, and they're all going to drip down to the floor and unbalance this rocket, and same thing, like, Mark didn't know when he went out the airlock that day that there's been an increasing Ripping stress the, on the yeah. material of the airlock. And, you know, he was th- – that there's only supposed to last 30 days. And also he – because this was the closest airlock to his rover, he always went out this with so yeah. extra stress. And it's like every time you started seeing this dry, like, why are they telling me random details about how <laughs> this material was Uh-oh. made four years ago? It's like, oh, you're fucked, Mark. You're yeah. fucked. And that was a really cool thing that – I was wondering how they would do it because it's common, almost a mystery why the rocket exploded. You're like, well, they didn't do the safety thing, so it, it, it blew up. Something went wrong. Something like, went wrong. You don't really need to know exactly No, you why. don't. And it, I thought it all that stuff worked, even though um, they left out the details and they dumbed kind of things down. Also, like I thought it was kind of ridiculous. He seals the hatch with essentially plastic sheeting and like bungee cords. Yeah, so – I, I don't know and duct tape how I feel helmet. about that with all these storms going around that because presumably the, could destroy the habitat. In, in the al- book, alone. they ship like actual canvas and this high powered resin that doesn't need oxygen. That's like huh. sure NASA would do that because if this thing gets a hole, everyone dies, so they need to be able to fix it. Yeah, and he has this elaborate routine where he can fix it with like this official sounding, you know, Mars habitation fabric that's just like Kevlar. Yeah. In this, he and uses plastic sheeting this, and like, duct tape. In the spaceship literally. at the end where it's literally a tarp that he's just bungee cord to the spaceship. Yeah. He, yeah, and he I'm like, only why? needed that to keep it stable enough to get out of the thin atmosphere. And then once he's far enough up, he he doesn't have wind resistance or air resistance, so he doesn't need it. And I don't know why, like, 
That was one of the coolest things. Man. It was. It, well, no, I just mean, like, they did the same thing in the book. It's just he yeah. used the fabric and, and the resin, and it's the same, you know, him being like, I don't know if this is, I don't know. It just seemed like to me when I'm sitting there watching him cower behind this sheet of plastic with this duct tape. It's like that just doesn't that just doesn't seem like it's going to work. Where it's uh, yeah, still it's, scary yes. that he's got this homemade repair and there's a storm going outside, but then it's like that's the thing. It's su- I I felt like one of the best scenes was him trying to count those potatoes while knowing, while you can hear th- just this stuff yeah. just whipping in the wind of the storm, and yeah. he's like, "Fuck! If that tears, I'm dead." That was the only thing. Is like you- I don't know why he wasn't in his spacesuit. A yeah, like. I'm staying in my spacesuit the whole time. So there's in the book they explain that the habitation has like the bil- the ability to reclaim water, to generate oxygen, and yeah. to remove carbon dioxide with like a chemical electrical process. Okay, but the rovers and the ships have these filters that just like the Apollo 13, they have a they can a, be consumed. A, they're consumed, and once that's the thing, like. Oxygen's not a problem, as it turns out. In yeah. a, it, it's carbon dioxide. It kills you way fast. Because did you know that there's only like half a percent of carbon dioxide in the in the atmosphere? That doesn't sound like much. And like one percent <laughs> is lethal. Like wow. that's like when I think when we're debating environmental concerns, I don't think people understand. Like this isn't like nitrogen where there's huge percentages of the or even oxygen. This is like teeny tiny things that can really fuck things up. Yeah. So scrubbing the carbon dioxide is a much bigger deal. And he he has like six suits and like also NASA, he says, learn from Apollo 13. So like all the filters are universal, like the okay. things in the <laughs> yep, suit good. will fit in the rover. No will fit in conversion. But stuff. he knows he has like 1800 hours of EVA time, essentially. OK. All together. So he can't He's literally need all that to get to Aries 4 site. And he literally can't sleep in his suit all the time. So there's got at times where he has to. And it's like, you know, how am I supposed to sleep when I know? Take a risk, yeah. I could hear a rip and this thing's vent and like he'll be unconscious like within seconds. So it's like he'll it'll be over before he knows it. And yeah. it's yeah, that's that adds a lot of the tension to the book and yeah. to the to the film. It didn't quite feel as tense as gravity, but I've I don't know how you would pack much more tension into a movie than you did in gravity, frankly. Yeah. Because gravity, you're in open space ninety percent sure. of the time. Yeah. Like, at, at least here you have something to stand on, you know? Yeah, no. And that I mean, does a lot to reduce the tension, I think. I I agree. And that's kind of always been Zubrin's point, too. Of like, why do people consider Mars more dangerous than, like, the International Space Station? Like, you're actually yeah. on a planet. doesn't have an atmosphere you can breathe, but it does have an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, like, if you had food and water and a shelter, you can survive. Whereas in space, like, so many fucking things can go wrong. You can get hit by a tiny pebble and boom, yeah. you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, then in... I think some of the reason the tension wasn't there is because probably half of the disasters that befall Mark in the book didn't make it into the movie. Really? Like, he flips his rover on this 80-day voyage to the Ares 4. I kept waiting for it to break down. It on. didn't. No, yeah. it never did. And there's a couple other things that happen with the... I, the one thing I thought was really cool is the him burning off the hydrogen. Or oh, like, when he blows himself he's like, up. And it's like it's like the MacGyver moment or like the Castaway moment. Yes! Like, I've made fire and boom! Because <laughs> he didn't calculate the oxygen correctly. Uh-huh. That was really good. Um, yeah, no. I'm, uh, I like... Th- so I expected them to do something with this 
essentially radiation bomb that he's got. Yeah. Uh, that he straps into his rover. Yeah, they do a lot of things with that. Um, they didn't really do anything with it. Yeah, it just, it just was the heat source. It allows him it? to be. It allows him to to save a bunch of um, power yeah. to the to the Mars rover. Fifty percent of his battery, apparently. Yeah. So every um, day, uh, with the cost of staying beside a. Very sealed and harmless, but if it ever leaked, it would yeah. kill him instantly kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, so I, I really love this convertible idea. Mm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about just the spectacle of him in this open cockpit, just flipping around in space. It's, yeah. It's something. It got a little gravity at the end. Y- yeah, totally. With that jump that he's got to make. Yeah. And, and they, that's not in the book either. Like he. No. He says he can do the Iron Man, like all that stuff, but the <laughs> commander's like, that's insane. No, you will not do it. It seems insane, yeah. And they just, it was a little less dramatic, but there was so much stuff at that point where it's just like, you know, kind of like Sandra Bullock, when she finally lands on Earth, he's about to drown. Like, Jesus Christ, does she get out and there's a shark going to eat her? Yes. What, when's it going to end? When is he safe? <laughs> so I feel like they, they put the Iron Man sequence in there just to give it a little bit more of that gravity, kind of like, oh, Jesus, because that uh-huh. is... You fuck that up, and you're just you're, you're just a dude floating until you suffocate. Yep. Yep. So. Super scary. And they had a little bit of the gravity, you know, getting stuck in the the parachute sort of thing, getting yeah. tangled up in these cables. Yeah. This tether. Yeah. Did, was there any point in the movie where you thought that Mark wasn't going to get come back? Because I remember distinctly, I put my Kindle down one night and like, man, I thought. This I thought, is going to be one type of story, but maybe not only he's going to die, but all f- six of these astronauts are going to die. Mm. See, I thought it was it was possible that they would get that they would would just have him like float away, like mm-hmm. miss this jump because I I saw how far out the cable was stretched and how the ship is kind of moving parallel to where she needs to be and yeah. it could yank her in the opposite direction. Yeah, and I was a little worried that yeah he was just going to miss and float away. Yeah, and that was going to be the end of the movie. But I was uh, I was impressed that they did the bomb thing where they they blew the hatch off the front of the ship to slow it down. That was right out of the yeah. book. And when that airlock goes, mm-hmm. I I also thought, okay, maybe he might not make it. Yeah. Oh, the guy because all of actually... his food sources sure is gone at that point. Yeah. And they made it very clear that they don't have enough rations to get him to the the eight hundred day window or whatever he needs. Yeah, that's the thing. Soul like eight the book something. is all about him solving problems and getting to a steady state, and then Mars throws yeah. a curve at him like now yeah. all of his potatoes are dead and what's he going to do like he thought yeah. he had 800 days worth of food and is a renewable source he never got that I, I he never got that malnourished in the book because hmm. he had what essentially is a near infinite supply of vitamins so like he was getting scurvy in the movie he like, was he, yeah. like his he wounds were opening up his, and mm-hmm. his teeth looked like they were getting all fucked up and the book he never had because he had essentially limitless vitamins so he could okay. supplement it. It's just the calories were a problem. Yeah, so I think he got thin, but he was in fairly yeah. good health. Okay. Um, but I thought that, again, that sold it, just his decrepitude. Yes. Sold kind of his, made his mental state seem a little bit kind of rangier than it was. Because that was the yeah. big criticism of the book when I read reviews is people just like, I don't believe how fucking optimistic this guy is. This I guy's mean, cracking jokes on day 500 are, of this planet. Look, look, man. These are the best of the best, right? Yes. You do not become an astronaut if you are not well fit yes. for this type of work. And yes, they kind of always portray astronauts as these very charismatic and funny and smart and attractive people. And for the most part, they are. I don't right. know if they all have that temperament um, of just being cut-ups at all time. Right. 
Uh, but they are mentally strong. Yes. I mean, if you if you take a Marine and you put him up there, yeah. him or her up there, they will for sure have this same kind of spirit. And that's the thing. It's not just any Marine. It's Marine that's gone through. He's got usually a PhD in something. Yes. Had tons of military training, had tons of space training. Um, and they're usually like late 30s, 40s. I mean, these are not like kids they're putting up there either. And and take a look at how he instructs these kids at the end, right? Yes. When he comes back, he's I telling them. I thought that them, was kind of bullshit, the way they, like, this needed, that five minutes need to be cut. It, okay, so maybe. I mean, I, I could buy an argument that would say, yeah, they didn't need that. But I think I also like that it shows kind of how he was trained and how, yeah. why he was able to survive this and why he didn't give up. And mm-hmm. he's he's had the history of the aerospace programs ingrained in him yeah and helping him survive and i thought that was cool um what was the other point oh i mean yeah every time people say like there's no one that's that mentally strong i think like you know this aaron ralston guy got his arm pinned against a rock 148 million hours cut his arm arm off and then hiked out of the woods like yeah Yeah. you and i might not be able to make it but there are people yeah and imagine a guy like aaron ralston who's had a lifetime of training yeah, that like I do believe there's people that are that fucking mentally strong. Yes, and it's those are the you. only people who become astronauts. Yes, yes, and also I think a lot of these people didn't do close readings because if you you know the conceit is you're only reading his journals, and he he concedes that there's some dark times between that. But when he's sitting down to do the yeah. official record, yeah. he's kind of cleaned it up, and you know, uh, whereas in the movie you see him have these like really down dark moments. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I guess. But there, that was one common criticism of the book. He's just too fucking Pollyanna and too jokey. But I feel like if you were going to survive the situation, that's kind of what you got to be. Yeah, that tends to be how, how they're portrayed in media, astronauts. Uh, anything uh, you else? Get, you I... get a George Clooney or a Tom Hanks in there, right? Sure. Like, a, because it's a movie and we need to sell tickets. But right. B, because that's how we want to portray astronauts. Uh, have you... Well, I mean, the old the old school astronauts were like Top Gun test yeah, the pilots, Ed, the Ed giant Harris, yeah, balls. I mean, like they the right really were sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. those kind of guys. Um, nowadays, they tend to be more nerdy, yeah, but they're still impressive human beings. Like I've yet to see an interview with one um, that didn't have me going away. Like, yeah, this dude's super impressive. He yeah. learned Russian in six like months. Mike and, Massimino, yeah. who you hear on Star Talk Radio every so often, mm. always been impressed with him. Uh, so. Anything else you want to talk about? Because I want to, I want to say a couple of things that might ruin the movie for you. Um, it's kind of interesting that this movie came out the week that that uh, NASA discovered running water on the surface of uh-huh. Mars as well. Sure, um, didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> it didn't make it into the movie, obviously. But it's like the more we learn about Mars, the more it seems like it's a it's a doable destination. I I think so. I told my I, I think I told important. my son this week. I said I do believe in your lifetime you will see men land and and women land on Mars. I hope so. I kind of think it's going to happen in my lifetime. I really hope so. I mean, I I personally feel like the space programs that we have are valuable in so many ways that that you are maybe not completely tangible in the moment but become evident later on. Well, uh, and the least of which is just the spirit of exploration. They're probably the only thing that's going to be valuable to humanity in like geologically significant time periods. Yeah. Yeah. There will come something that will end all life on this planet unless we get off of it. 
or so. or master space to the extent that we can comf- you know comfortably protect ourselves from those events. Yeah. So, you know, in game if you want humanity to survive for eons, you got to eventually get off this rock. Sure. And I Mars feel like the people who are step to that. Too short-sighted to see that are worried about how much it costs and uh what what we get out of it in the moment. And that's I'm, the frustrating thing. Cause like, I'm not, I don't want to talk to politics about the war. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. But it is like for a fraction of what the war in Afghanistan and Iraq costs, you could do a fully manned full boat mission to Mars. What's the NASA budget? Like 2 billion a year or something. Yeah. It's I, almost it's, nothing. It's, it's crazy low <laughs> for what you get out of it. Yeah. Like this Pluto flyby and the stuff we did with the, um, to probe the the Mars and uh-huh. or not Mars, I'm sorry. Well, all, yeah, yeah, all the probes I mean the rover on Mars. Mars, sure. That's yeah. the other thing. Is like I'm glad that I didn't see anybody. Like it's unbelievable that he made this thing last for you know three four years because like look at the fucking <laughs> rovers. They're supposed the to last for like sixty days, and some of them are still f- still roving. Yeah, not like, only are the best are, these things are re- massively overbuilt. Exactly, exactly. Designed... They've got the best engineers on the planet working on this. Yes. Stuff. Yes, They're, so I'm glad that NASA's got the reputation to where you could believe a hab that's supposed to be habitable for 35 days can shelter a man for three years. That's the thing, right? They're they're designed to not just survive sitting there, but to survive getting there, yes. which is the hard part. Yeah, uh, crash landing a habitat on Mars. Yeah, is is more traumatic than just sitting there for X amount of years. Sure. So, uh, so tell, a- tell me, spoil spoil this movie for me. Make so, me hate so the movie it. starts with a windstorm that's so strong that it knocks antennas off and tips over spacecraft. Yes. Windstorms on Mars don't work that way. Okay. Because the atmosphere is too thin? To the really atmosphere is like storm. 1% as thick as Earth, so a 100-mile-an-hour wind is has the has the force of like a 1-mile-an-hour one one breeze. Sure. Right. That makes sense. Now, yeah. the people are like, well, then how do you have these massive planet-covering dust storms? Well... There is a significant thickness of dust on Mars that's the consistency of baby powder, okay. just like it is on the moon. So, like, a small breeze, you know, a three, four-mile-an-hour breeze uh, can pick up a, in the thin Martian atmosphere and a very thin gravity, because it's a third of Earth's gravity, can pick up a lot of dust and but get it way high in the air. almost no damage. It's not going to do any damage. Yeah. It does, like, the big things it does is it, it, it coats... Um, it coats uh, solar panels and it dims yes. the sun. And that's what usually kills these probes because it's so fucking cold in the winter um, that they have to spend a significant portion of their heat, just like they show in the movie, or portion of their energy heating their insides to keep them from freezing and huh. becoming brittle and inactive. And okay. in the winter time, when they start getting coated with this dust and the sun is blotted out, they just don't have the power, and yeah. it gets too cold, and that's it. The, the probe stops working. Hmm. But there's no fucking way that a windstorm would endanger anything that's like a huge... Like, you're not going to have a rod shoved through you or a <laughs> something bolted down ripped off or probably even a solar panel yeah. knocked over. It'd be a light breeze. It would feel like a light breeze. So is that the fact that the whole premise of the movie couldn't happen... And I was wondering, like, what else could he have done? Yeah. Because the thing is, like, the, do that the, in the crew, book? yeah, the crew thinks uh. he's dead because they, the last reading they got from a shoot was that he had loss of pressure. You know that a person can only survive in a biological sense for a minute in a vacuum mm-hmm. and they're going to lose consciousness within seconds. And the thing's about to tip. I'm trying to think what other kind of ticking time bomb they could get off that would le- make them leave someone behind. And there's not a lot. So it's like, do you swallow a very large scientific inaccuracy? Yeah. 
Hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say I, I would hate the movie for that, but that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. And that's the thing is like I from reading Robert Zubrin's book and all that, I knew that. And like, so I had a little bit of like, I don't know about this thing for I the feel first like, yeah, few chapters. If I knew that going in, it might be a bigger problem for me. Yeah. Whereas finding that out afterward and I see this great movie that I love. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm quicker to dismiss the problem. I mean, it's, I feel like most movies are not this sensitive to this scientific accuracy, but since the sure. movie is kind of built on this scientific accuracy, that it is a little yeah. bit, but the you thing have is, your character I, saying, "I'm going to science the shit out of this." You can't. You need to science the shit out of your premise, dude. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. I, I was trying to think of like how you could make something that would be lethal enough that everyone has to leave the planet immediately, like a solar flare or something. Like, and also would incapacitate a crew. And yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe if he like an incoming asteroid of some kind <laughs> yeah like, like, like yeah i mean a gamma like a, a solar flare that was headed towards mars would probably yeah. do it and like say matt damon is the only guy that's in a rover and he's like three kilometers away and he can't get back in time to get to the ship that's got shielding like and that's like yeah. a, in you know and he somehow but then how does he survive that <laughs> maybe he's out of out of territory so he can't come back to the thing in time because they have to launch right now or yeah. they're gonna get killed yeah but he's not in the zone that's gonna get hit by but it the, yeah but the idea that they'd send like a hab a habitation station that doesn't have sufficient shielding to protect you from that yeah that's something that zubrin spends a lot of time like how would you engineer a ship that can survive like but a big enough solar flare and we don't even have protection from that here right no, even with the Earth's atmosphere. that's the thing like the international space station is, is still in the atmosphere enough and within earth's ionosphere that Hmm. you're going that the astronauts don't have to worry about that stuff but on a trip to mars where you're okay. out way out of the vanderbilt and and the the magnet and the magnetic sphere of the earth that's protecting us you do have to worry about that so he has like all these ideas huh. where there'd be an emergency shelter that is built inside the ship that's like surrounded by all the water supplies of the ship because i guess water is really good at yeah. absorbing that radiation uh-huh. so like it's like a bunker essentially that there's a uh core mass ejection heading astronauts way they jump in that centralized part of the ship that's heavily shielded and ride it out and then on mars like there's all kinds of things you could do to build shielding and you can even like one of the things he um was really in is like burying the structure so you'd actually put several meters of the martian soil above you um but it's it's like yeah like where i don't know how to write a better premise to get the same results so sure if it's Writing a real 99% of a cool book and the premise doesn't hold up. It's like, I guess if you're Andy Weir, you do it. Yeah. The other thing they didn't address at all, and I don't know if that's because maybe in the future they've solved this problem, but, you know, flying through space, you absorb a lot of radiation. Yeah. Period. And they did not address in that adding 500 plus days of space travel to how much journey, more cancer, risk how much or, bigger yeah. of a risk that would be. Sure. I mean, I suppose the more immediate and bigger risk is they fuck something up along the way and they just don't get back. Yeah. And yeah. so that's probably a more pressing issue than the cancer they might face 20 years down the line. But yeah, I was trying to think if the Zubrin had some idea of like, I felt like there's some kind of maybe uh, electromagnetic shielding that, that the ship was going to have. Yeah. They never really said anything about it in the film. They didn't address the radiation in space at all. Yeah. Um, which is funny because they did address the radiation heating that they used. So, right. Like, well, yeah, I don't know why they didn't bring it up at least. Yeah. There's uh but that yeah, that sequence really worked well in the book and like again, and this was his I guess this was his first time ever re- writing a book. Wow. So if you if you write the book too, there's 
kind of some amateur the way he expresses okay. dialogue and it's kind of straightforward and but again if, if you're a science nerd if you like if you grew up watching the macgyver i can't imagine you not liking the book mm-hmm. um also another recommendation if you like if you get through the case for mars and you want to see a science fiction like but but realistic hard science fiction look at um colonizing mars there's a trilogy called red mars green mars blue mars and each book, like Red Mars, obviously is like the Mars we know it, and it ends with like this, um, and it talks about all the different ways that they've tried to call it the to terraform Mars. I was gonna say, is Green Mars like them growing things on yeah. Mars, and Blue is them getting atmosphere on Mars and, or something? And, and oceans, oceans, okay. And yeah, yeah. it's really ingenious how they in thicken the atmosphere and and do a lot of that kind of stuff and. So huh. like if you want to get cool. like you want to do deep dark spend a whole month on Mars and there's your reading <laughs> there's your reading material go. Well, Matt Damon spent 4 years on Mars, so <laughs> the least I can do is spend a month. And all he had was 70s television and seven and and disco music. I I really appreciated the jokes around the disco later in the movie like they yeah. after they'd established that all he had was disco music. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I wondered about um you know, like did I buy that? Like, where's your music supply, dude? Yeah. Um, I mean, an iPod, come on. just. I mean, maybe something. if they're only allowed a certain amount of personal items, he chose to bring something else. But, like, yeah. you know, it's like there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor about Commander Lewis and her shitty taste. And, like, I'm watching Sanford and Sons and Three's Company, and I'm listening to, yeah. you know, ABBA. But it's like, you know, you fucked up, man. You should have brought your own shit. I agree. I agree. So, but yeah, no, great, great movie. Anything else you want to say about it? No, no, that's it. Well, then I guess we're out. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm going to start, uh, a, thread on, I'm gonna start a thread on the forums at forums.baldmove.com for discussion. One other thing that we have to mention. Yeah. Uh, when we went to the theater, there's this giant banner of Matt Damon down at the end of the hall in his space suit. And it says the Martian, October yeah, like 2nd, Yeah, like his face whatever. is eight foot tall. The, the banner is like eight foot by 10 foot. It's huge. That is his face. Yeah. Uh, I when we went out of the theater, I asked about obtaining that banner because I want to stick it here in our studio. Yeah, uh, they said to call back in a couple weeks when they were done with it. it sounded like uh, they're giving us a brush off, though. It did. It really did. Uh, I told them, you know, we've, we've got a podcast studio. We do video. We want it for our, our thing. And he was like, "Yeah, call us back in a couple mm-hmm. couple weeks. We'll see if any of the employees want it or anything." Uh, if you so we're putting the call out right. Mm-hmm. We desperately want one of these banners. If you work at a theater or you know someone who does and they have one of these big, uh, I, th- I think it's like a big white background. With, it's a canvas. It's like printed yeah, canvas. Yeah. Like a, a big banner. Uh-huh. Uh, it's eight foot by 10 foot. You'll know when you see it. It's huge. If you can get your hands on that and send it to us, we would be eternal. And I'm not saying grateful. illegally. No, no, no. Like, you know, if you it's, if it's, if, if, if the movie's leaving the theaters and they're yeah. throwing all this stuff out or whatever they do. And then you can do it without getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, I, we, yeah, we would be uh, reach out to us at, uh, yes. at hosts at baldmove.com because we would, we would like to get that set up. Cause yeah, I would want, uh, I want to see that. big, big Matt Damon's head <laughs> behind yeah. you uh-huh. in the studio. That'd be pretty swank. All right, cool. We're probably going to put the call out in some of other podcasts. It's the first too, time we've so. actually flexed our muscles in this. I mean, other than having people send us money so we can eat and put food well, on their table. That, yeah. But yeah, I don't think we've uh, and also get the, but the I hel- want to do something and get big the helicopter, get the helicopter for the zombie apocalypse. That was a big get that for helped, us too. Yeah, that that yeah. Apache is going to be useful. But yeah, I hope so. Up to get uh, up against Matt Damon's face. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. So send us that thing. Uh, and that's it. That's all I wanted to say. So we'll see you guys next time. Yep. Bye.